As we come to the book of Acts tonight, we've been in uh, the book long enough to, to begin to see a few patterns uh, developing. And, and one of the patterns that uh, is uh, coming um, fairly clear is that you, the, the church has just been sort of born, in a sense. The, they have been praying for the Spirit of God. And by the way, this is Pentecost Sunday, when we remember the, the sending of the Spirit of God uh, to fill people as Jesus had promised. And so we are now uh, those that have the Spirit of God living in us. And uh, so this is uh, Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after the resurrection. I think this morning I said 40. Uh, I've got a reason why I said 40, but it is actually 50. Um, anyhow, uh, what we see is that the, the church was birthed, and there's this pattern of sort of increase of testimony, of witnessing, of sharing the Word of God, and then persecution. And then this time of um, um, increase and in sharing the Word of God in common persecution. And then this time of um, gathering together and seeing neat things done, and then persecution. And so we're beginning to, to see, I think, a pattern um, what uh, some might call the new normal. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, the new normal, um, but it's, uh, I heard the, the history of how that phrase came to be, and I won't give it to you tonight, but I'll, I'll give you a little sort of hints as we talk about this. But the new normal is something that happens after an irreversible change takes place. And sometimes we, we go through life and there's a real trauma that happens to us. Um, it could be as serious as the loss of a loved one. And uh, sometimes you're in those times of trauma, and one of the things that you hear people say is, I just wish things would go back to normal. The reality is they won't go back to normal. We're in a new normal now. We have to learn how to adjust to the situation that we find ourselves, and that is normal for us now. And so when we think about the church as it's going through this cycle of, uh, of, of calm and then preaching and persecution of calm and then worship and then persecution, that is now becoming the new normal for the church. And they may have wanted to say, well, I, I wish it was different. I wish we could have gone back to when Jesus was here and, you know, when we were all safe and sound in the synagogue. The fact is, the Holy Spirit has come now. This is the new normal. And I was thinking of that in relation to becoming a Christian. When a person becomes a Christian, um, they now leave one way of living which was normal to them, and they now engage in a whole new way of living, which is now a new normal. Uh, it's a way of living your life completely towards God. And so as we come to this next text, we, we, we see again this bump in the road of, of good things and then persecution. Good things and persecution. So if you have Bibles, um, turn to them to Acts chapter uh, 5. And we're going to cover a fair bit of ground um, tonight. And uh, that's all right. Uh, it's, it's good sometimes to get the big pictures as we work through uh, uh, some of this material. But I just want to read it first through and make a couple comments along the way and then come back and draw a couple more points out um, from the text. So it's Acts chapter 5 and starting at verse 12. And uh, if you were here last Sunday, last Sunday was a bit of a a tough service and some might even say a downer because we talked about Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, that passage of Scripture is really about the importance of the purity of the church. God, uh, it matters to God what our hearts are like. It matters to God what our speech is like. And so it's a chapter that reminds us of the importance of the purity of the church. We come to this section of Scripture, and it's about the power of the church. And so he begins, um, Luke begins by telling us uh, in verse 12, he says this, after the Ananias and Sapphira incident, he says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly being done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. 
So after the incident with Ananias and Sapphira, there was just a, a lot of things happening, signs and wonders. Uh, these are miraculous things that God does through his people, through the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that affirm um, the message that's being told, that affirm his name. And so we, we see these signs and wonders are taking place in the city of Jerusalem. And there are a few people that are standing off to the side. It says there that none of the rest dared to join them. And I think that picks up from chapter 5 where uh, we read there that great fear came upon the church after Ananias and Sapphira were slain. And so there was amazing things that were taking place in the church, but there were those who had uh, the caution and, and the unwillingness to join up with what was happening in the church. And so they stayed away from it, um, but others were joining. When we talk about uh, signs and wonders, it's, it's interesting to, to read a little bit farther. It says, And more than ever... Believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Already at this point, in a few short months, we had over 8,000 people become part of the church, and now they're being multiplied, and they're just coming to Christ in, uh, in, in sort of multitudes, it says. So that, um, that they even carried out the sick into the streets, they laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The implication being that as Peter walked by and his shadow fell on them, they were healed. This is amazing stuff. And then it goes further. It says, The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Not just some of them. They were all healed. So they, they brought the sick into the streets. I don't know if you can ever picture what that might be like if God started moving, say, in Parksville, and you, you walk down Craig Street, and there's all these people in mats and cots lying down Craig Street, and maybe down the old island highway, because uh, the, the, pre, the preacher who's in town has been preaching, and if he walked by, a shadow would fall on him, and, and miraculously, just by the power of God in the name of Jesus, that person would be healed. But that's what was going on here, and it says that there were beds and cots, the beds were the couches of the rich, and the cots were the couches of the poor. So there were rich and poor alike that were, that were lining the streets of Jerusalem. It must have been an amazing, extraordinary sight to see these people um, um, wanting to have uh, uh, God heal them and touch them. This is pretty amazing stuff. Uh, simply a shadow falling on them and God's power through that event healing them. And then it tells us that people were coming from um, outskirts uh, cities around Jerusalem because they had heard what God was doing, and so they were bringing their sick there. And it wasn't just the sick, there were those that were full of unclean spirits. And so there was the demonics that were being delivered, and there was the sick that were being healed. And it wasn't just a few of them, he says, and all of them were being healed. They were all touched by the power of God. And uh, just before we read a little bit more, I was thinking, well, why is this taking place? Well, I think part of it is a sovereign move of God. That God has just said, at this time and this place, I am going to confirm my word, I am going to affirm the name of Jesus, I am going to demonstrate my power, and this is what's going to take place. But I think also part of it was an answer to prayer. Back in uh, chapter 4, uh, they were praying to God. And they said, God, would you look upon the threats that they're making and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They were praying that this would happen. Has this been your prayer this last week? 
Have, have any of us been praying, Lord, would you grant me boldness this week? Would you grant me boldness so that I can speak and I can live for you? And not only that, Lord, but would you stretch out your hand and would you heal people? Would you stretch out your hand and would you deliver people? I think they had been praying this and God was answering their prayer. And so I think one of the reasons why we can sit back and say, well, this is just, you know, it's a special time and God was doing neat things and so it's not to be repeated. I think that is true. This is a sovereign work of God. But this was also the cry of their heart. That they would see these things take place so that God would be glorified and honored in their community. And so I would say, yes, it's God's decision on how he works and acts in a city. But are we praying and are we pleading with God? To stretch out his hand and to do these incredible things in our midst so that he would get the glory for what he's doing. And it says people were coming to faith. Um, Multitudes of them were becoming Christians. And again, it's because they were praying. And then we pick up in verse 17. But the high priest, notice the but, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles and they put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said to them, Go stand at the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and the senate of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought out. But when the officers came and they did not find them in prison, they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked, the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. And when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering how the, what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. You see this, this instance of persecution. One of the things, though, that I, I want us to, to notice is that we don't live in a, in a world that's just made of the natural. Not only does it say those with unclean spirits were being delivered, but that an angel of the Lord was sent to deliver the apostles miraculously from jail. This is not just stuff that happened back in those days. This kind of thing happens um, all over the world, all the time, and is happening today. I was reading again the biography of my grandfather, and I, I want to just read a little section to you, because it's a, it's a little bit like this. And he had just arrived in Tibet, and he, had, uh, he was just getting to know the language, just getting to know the people, and uh, he was wanting to go into a specific territory and share the gospel with people who had never heard it for the first time. And so he was, it says, And he rode along, the majestic and lonely view disquieted him. High above, the mountain peaks were crowned with snow. Below, in a yawning canyon, a raging stream churned its way southward, like a great and angry serpent turning in the sunlight. Following a bend in the narrow road, the missionary came to a crude log bridge thrown across a narrow point in the gorge. As he mounted the flimsy structure, it threatened to crumble into the seething water below. Every motion of the horse stepping forward shook the very timbers. Concentrating on getting himself and the animal safely across, Mr. Plymeyer was not aware of what was waiting for him on the opposite bank. It was not until he reached the middle of the bridge that he saw them. A band of Tibetans armed with broad swords, spears, and ancient muskets. 
Fear gripped the missionary as he started ahead. What could he do? Turn back, he dared not. All he could do was keep on riding forward. As he drew closer, he could see the men plainly silhouetted against the rocky wall of the gorge. The awful truth began to dawn on him. These men were robbers. He pulled to a stop on the bridge, trying desperately to think of some way to escape. There was none. He was trapped. Then he remembered God's lifetime promise. Would it hold true now? He bowed his head to prayer, silently and earnestly. If the master could not protect him in this, his first crisis, there was no possibility of further service on the mission field. He would put God to the test, ride forward toward the men who were blocking the road. Coming to the end of the bridge, he quickly spurred his horse to a gallop, praying as he rode. His faith was his only weapon, but it was enough. As he dashed past the robbers, not one of them moved or uttered a sound. They were in a daze, transfixed by some unseen power. Up the road, some distance, the missionary drew his horse to a stop. Turning in his saddle, he was thankful to see the last of the men running off the other side of the bridge as though pursued. Soon, they were out of sight in the bushes of the ravine. That was a miraculous intervention of God on his behalf. God is still doing those kinds of things. And so we see that even in this situation, as they find themselves thrown in public prison for, for sharing the good news of the gospel, the angel of the Lord comes and delivers them. And then in verse 21 or 27, it says, and, and when they brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned him, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here we have you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. I think that's a, a verse that all of us ought to underline and at least think about when we, when we, when we think about our relationship with God. We are to be um, citizens of this land that obey the, the laws of this land. We are to pay our taxes. We are to obey the law. We are to submit to the authorities that are over us. But the moment somebody asks us to do something that is contrary to the word of God and contrary to the direction that God has for us to go, we have to choose. And the Bible tells us here in their actions what that choice is. We must obey God rather than men. Regardless of the consequence, regardless of the price, we must obey God rather than men. And he says, the God of our, our, our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as a leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. It's not the normal stuff of Christianity, is it? This is not what we talk about too, too much. We talk about the rosy stuff and the flowery stuff. We don't talk about people being mad at us because we're Christians and wanting to kill us because we're sharing about Jesus Christ. And, um, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamil, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Another little aside, I don't know if you've ever been in a meeting and they've asked you to get up and leave the meeting. That's one of the most frustrating things in the world because you, they're meeting away and you're sitting outside and you're wondering, what are they going to do? What are they talking about me? You know, what are they deciding while I'm not there? So they're, they booted Paul and, or Peter and all the rest of the apostles out and they have this little meeting um, within a meeting. And so he stood up and, and he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thudius rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, all who followed him were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. 
he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. That's interesting. You see this in Thailand with the red shirt guys. And once the leaders bail, the movement all um, dries up. Uh, nonetheless, this is what's happening here. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But it, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to opposing God. So they took his advice. Then they called them back into the room. And I've been called back in a room and have a few of these. But it says they called them back in the room and they uh, beat them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. This is amazing. Just because they were telling people about Jesus and because healing, people were being healed in Jesus' name. And then verse 41, and this is such a critical verse. It says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, publicly, and from house to house, privately, they did not cease teaching and preaching about Jesus Christ. How do we get to verse 41? How do we get to the place where when we live for Jesus and we stand up for Jesus and even when we suffer for Jesus, we leave with a renewed desire to be obedient to Jesus regardless of the, of the price and even rejoicing that we have been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. See, one of the things that, that, uh, that I just sort of wrote down in my, my notes as I was writing this is that when God is at work, opposition will not be far behind. If you're standing up for Jesus in your school, if you're standing up for Jesus in your place of work, if you're standing up for Jesus in your home or in your neighborhood, you will find out fairly quickly that opposition will not be far behind. The name of Jesus offends people. The message of the gospel offends people. And so if you're standing up and you are living the way that God calls you to live, opposition will not be far behind us. And I think this just reminds us what I said in, in the, a little bit earlier. We need to be realistic in our understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Not everything will go the way that we want it to go. Not everything will be rosy. Not everything will be peachy. There will be tough times that come in our life. And in this whole era of the spiritual realm, I was thinking again about Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 is this amazing battle scene about a war that takes place in heaven. It's a war between Satan and Michael and his angels. And the defeat, Satan was defeated and he was beat up by Michael and his angels. And it says he was thrown down from heaven, as were all his other angels, they were thrown down. Now, while that is good news for heaven, it was bad news for earth. The, uh, uh, John continues to write, Rejoice, of, uh, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Good news, Satan's not here any longer. But then he says, But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. And he went to make war on those. Listen to this very carefully. He went to make war on those who keep the commandments and who hold to the testimony of Jesus. If you're doing your best to walk in a way that pleases God, if you're doing your best to hold true to the testimony that you have confessed when you became a Christian, the devil is after you, and he opposes you. If you're speaking boldly in the name of Jesus, if you're asking God to do great things in, in our community, you can know that the devil will be opposing you. This is just part of the battle that we're in. Expect opposition. 
And we need to know that the battle is real and dangerous. Just to go back over some of this stuff. These were the religious and the political leaders uh, of, of the time. And they were the ones that were really ticked off that God was doing stuff. Why were they mad? And I've seen this even on little moves of, of God. That it's sometimes the leaders in the church that are most offended by it. And here it says that they were jealous. They were filled with jealousy. The root can, can, uh, does come from a word which means boil. So it means that they were just bubbling over with jealousy. They were ticked off that these guys were being used and were drawing crowds away from them towards the worship of God. In another place, it says, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was revealing to them. They were offended. Verse 28 tells us where they, they come to them and they simply they say to them, how dare you disobey us? We told you not to teach in the name of Jesus any longer, and yet you have filled this city with that teaching. So they were jealous. They were offended. Verse 33, it says they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. But in, uh, a little bit later in verse 40, we find out that even though they were powerless to stop them, they did the next best thing. They beat them up and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus any longer. When it says they beat them up, this wasn't just a, a little bit of a tongue lashing. It wasn't just a little, a few whacks on the side of the head. Most people think that this was 40 lashes save one. And they, they, they often had to do even less than that um, because they would kill the person. It was such a severe beating that they would receive. This was how angry these people were at these people for just sharing about Jesus, for just sharing about how Jesus could change their life for sharing with them about the good news of the gospel. They were so enraged that they beat them within inches of their life and then told them to get out of there and not teach any longer in the name of Jesus. Beyond losing power of the people, what would make them so mad? Well, it was a, it was a few things. And just very quickly, the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. That, that's what ticked them off. It says in, in verse 28, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. And in verse 40, they beat them and then again strictly charged them not to talk in the name of Jesus. Why did the name of Jesus enrage them so much? Well, I think in part it's because of who Jesus claimed to be. I think it's in part of what was done in the name of Jesus. I think it's in part their own guilt towards their desire not to have Jesus rule over them and reign over their lives. And so and even the mention at the name of Jesus, they were offended. It said, don't talk about that name to me. Don't talk about that name in this city, in this place. I don't want nothing to do with that man. And so in part, it was the name of Jesus. It was also in part, it was the death and the resurrection of Jesus. These were Sadducees, and Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And so, in part, I think they were offended that these apostles were telling people that Jesus was raised from the dead, and they were teaching that there was no resurrection. So, there was, in part, this theological battle that was taking place, and that sometimes happens in, in church settings. But I also think, though, that what was going on here is that they were guilty. Uh, they, they say in, um, in verse uh, 28... You intend to bring this man's blood on our heads. In other words, they were feeling guilty inside for what they had done, for their part in the, in the, in the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. And so that was under their skin, the name of Jesus, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. 
And so that's part of what was, what was going on in this, um, the, this, this, this situation. The battle that these Christians were in was real and it was dangerous. It wasn't just a cakewalk. Um, and I was thinking, too, that lots of things don't make sense yet um, if you follow Jesus. Did it make sense that they arrested the apostles and had them thrown in a public prison? Where did that come from? It was like the story I told you a couple of weeks ago about the preacher in Britain that was arrested from Hyde Park standing on a soapbox and thrown into jail. Where did that come from? Why did they arrest them? And then when they escaped with the angel, and they rounded them up again and brought them right back in front of them. They tried intimidation and threats. They set them before the council. They, they charged them again not to teach in the name of Jesus. They wanted to kill them. They beat them. And so, look, things don't always make sense in our lives in the moment. But they will days or weeks or months or years down the road. So what do we hear about the apostles? How do Christians respond in this kind of situation? How do we respond when, when things turn the way that we don't expect them to turn? I think the, the first thing that I noticed here was their obedience. They had been thrown into jail. And I, I imagine uh, this was a good time that there weren't videos because now you see the, the cameras that people take when police arrest people and they put it on YouTube and they give it to the news media. And so if the police even touch the people in the wrong way, it's shone around the world. Well, I don't think this was probably a pleasant arrest when they went and got the apostles. I, 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 I dare say they probably roughed them up a little bit and pushed them around and punched them around a bit and then they threw them into jail. Sometime during the night, as the, as the text says, an angel of the Lord sent by God, came down and, and sort of stunned all the guards and released all the apostles. I think that's pretty cool in itself, like being delivered by an angel. That's an, that'd be just amazing um, to have an angel work in that sort of a way. But if I were an apostle and that happened, I would think, oh, good, I get to go home. This is the end of the deal. It was, you know, it was tough preaching. It was tough being thrown in jail. Now I'm free. I can't wait to go home and just go back to a prayer meeting and have a dinner and with my family and my friends and that sort of stuff. But notice what the angel says to them. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people the words of life. And then listen. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to speak or to teach. There was not a moment's hesitation in them. That just as the sun was beginning to rise again in that city, they went right back to the place that they'd been arrested the first time, and they were obedient, and they continued to talk in the name of Jesus. That's amazing obedience. I, I would hope that I would have that kind of obedience if I was ever found in that kind of situation. Back in the same place, doing the same thing that had gotten them arrested in the first place. They understood what it meant to obey God rather than men. I also was sort of impressed by their boldness. In verse 29 to 32, and we read these, I won't read them again, but they, they said to them, are you holding this man's blood on us, meaning Jesus? And they didn't miss a beat, and they said, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. That's amazing honesty and boldness. Where does that kind of boldness come from? Where does that boldness to speak the truth even in the midst of a difficult situation, where does that come from? Well, again, it comes from at least two places. One, 
It says in Acts 1.8 that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. There will be a power that comes upon you to tell people about Jesus. But again, notice they, they prayed for it. They said, um, grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. This didn't come naturally to them. None of us wants to be in a situation where people are angry with us or people are wanting to harm us or people are wanting to throw us in jail. That's not something that we look forward to or we look look for. But yet it's part of what it means by being bold for Jesus Christ. And so their boldness came because they were filled with the power of the Spirit and they had been praying, God, would you do in us what we wouldn't naturally want to do? Would you give us a boldness to speak your truth in this situation, no matter what the cost might be. And then we come then to, um, we always get the grace that we need when we need it. Um, We sang that song, I think at the very beginning, I don't care what the world throws at me, I'm going to be all right. Um, That song fits perfectly with this. I don't care what the world throws at me, I'm going to be all right. Because I'm serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I am serving the sovereign master as they prayed the last time. And so they were rejoicing. Can you figure that out? Do you rejoice when somebody makes um, a comment towards you at work because you stand up for Christ? Do you rejoice when somebody at school mocks you because you say you're going to youth group that night? Do you rejoice when, when, when people hurl all manner of insults at you? Um, because you're standing up for Jesus Christ in the place that you happen to be at the time. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. There it is again, the name, the name of Jesus. There's a lot of texts that we could read. Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you, oh, the happiness of you, When others revalue and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They were just doing what Jesus had taught them. They were doing what the prophets before them had taught them. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. James 1, 2, dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. 1 Peter 1.6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perished, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what do we take away then from this glimpse in the, into the early church? I think there's a few things that we take away first. There is real power in the name of Jesus. How do you think all these miracles and these healings and these deliverances were taking place? They were taking place because Jesus continues to work in the church then and today. And I I continue to pray that for us as a church, and I continue to pray that for us as a community, that somehow we would come to realize that Jesus is still at work in our midst. He still is able to heal. He still is able to deliver. He still is able to save. There is real power in the name of Jesus. Also, though, there is real opposition to the name of Jesus. I think if you've ever, if you've ever experienced it, you know what it's like. 
If you've ever spoken up for Christ in a, in a room full of people who are talking against him, you know the glares, you know the stares. If you've ever spoken up for, for the church um, that's being maligned in a group of people, you know the sort of opposition you face. I don't know, some of you here may have even been hurt or beat up or physically harmed because you have stood up for the name of Jesus. There is real opposition to the name of Jesus. But then there is real assurance in the words of life. Now, this is where I just want to end tonight. Um, notice again, back in verse 20. The angel tells them, and, and translations um, put this in different ways. I, I, I tend to think that uh, the way this, uh, the, the uh, ESV has it is, is pretty correct. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. You see, what, what, what the angel is saying to them is, is the way of Jesus Christ is the way of life. That for anybody who is not following Jesus Christ, they are on the path that leads to destruction. They are on the path that leads to everlasting separation from God. So this isn't just a trivial matter. This isn't just a matter of picking, picking this house over that house or picking this girlfriend over that girlfriend or picking this job over that job. This is a matter of eternal life or eternal destruction. This is not trivial stuff. And so he says to them, you need to go back and you need to tell these people about the words of this life. You need to tell them about Jesus Christ who is the truth, the life, and the way. You need to tell them about the way to Jesus or the way to God through Jesus Christ. And he, he tells us again what that involves. What's, what are the, what's the way of this life? Well, it's, it's obedience. We've got to serve God rather than men. If you're a Christian here tonight, or if you're contemplating becoming a Christian, that is sort of the, one of the baseline deals of being a Christ follower. Will you follow Christ, or will you follow men? Will you give it up all for Christ, or will you not give it up all for Christ and choose following men? And so that's sort of one of the ways of this life, is you can't serve two masters. You can't have a foot in both worlds. You choose Christ or you choose the world. You choose God, or you choose your friends. You can't have it both ways. And so that's part of the ways of this life. Another reality of the way of this life is the crucifixion. And here we come back to the centrality of the gospel again. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That is such a central part of what we believe. It's such a central part of the gospel that Jesus Christ died. And why did he die? Because people hated what he had to say. Because he was telling them the truth about their sinfulness. Because he was telling them the truth about heaven. And they didn't want to hear it. They couldn't handle it. They couldn't stomach it. So they thought we can shut him up forever if we just kill him. And so at the heart of the gospel is the death of this person that we call Jesus Christ. And yet he was perfectly innocent. He was without sin. Pilate said three times, I find nothing of blame in this man. There was nobody who could bring an accusation against him. Finally, they'd had to bribe a bunch of witnesses to try and bring an accusation against Jesus. So he was perfect. He was spotless. He was like us in every way and without, yet without sin. And yet they killed him. And the crucifixion is at the heart of the gospel again because in dying on the cross, Jesus died in our place. 
He, he paid the penalty for our sins. And again, we, it's, a, it's a word that we don't like to hear about, but the Bible is very clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. How do I ever deal with that penalty? How do I ever pay the price of my sin? I can't do it on my own. I can't do it at all. But Jesus died in my place. So the way of life is choosing Christ over everything else. The way of life is believing in the death of Jesus Christ for you. The way of life is believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is just as crucial. Because if Jesus Christ is still in the grave, then he didn't pay the penalty for my sins. He didn't accomplish anything by his death. Maybe he was a sinner. Certainly God was a liar because God said, I will raise him from the dead. And so when we think about the gospel and if you're considering the way of Christ or if you're wrestling with it as a Christ follower and you're wondering, well, what is at the heart of it again? At the heart of it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ because that is the, God said, I will raise him up. And the raising up of Jesus is God's way of saying, I find no fault in him. I accept the penalty that he paid for the sins of all who put their faith and trust in him. So he says, go and tell him about obedience. Go and tell them about the death of Jesus Christ. Go and tell them about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But go and tell them about the exaltation of Jesus Christ. That God has raised him up and his name now is the name that is above all other names. You see, that's the, that's the way of life, loved ones. That's what you and I, who are Christ followers, need to embrace in a fresh new way again. To understand the grace of God. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christ follower and you're wrestling with this kind of stuff, this is sort of at the heart of what we believe. And this is the pathway into the way of life. I was thinking about this. Um, not everyone is willing to listen to this. Not everyone is willing to accept the truth of the gospel. There was a time when Jesus was teaching, and he was teaching some fairly hard stuff. And I'm amazed at this. Jesus didn't just, wasn't enamored by crowds. He always looked for ways to thin the crowds out, it seemed. And so this whole group of people was gathered around Jesus, and he started teaching some hard stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, the guys at the back were turning around, and they were kind of slinking away. And then other guys were slinking away. And then there was just a small group of people left that the crowd had gone away. And he turns to his disciples, and he says to them, Are you going to leave me too? And they said, Well, where would we go? You have the words of life. And that's it. We have the words of life. We have the words that make it possible for one to enter into a relationship with God and have everlasting life and thus avoid everlasting destruction separated from God. Is it not worth a beating to tell somebody who's dying that they can have life in Jesus? Is it not worth a little bit of opposition and a little bit of jail time if it means that somebody hears in a fresh new way the words of life. See, this is what we see happening in the church. This is how I think we get to this point where we can see them leaving the presence, being uh, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to, to, to suffer dishonor for the name because they realized that in the name of Jesus was real power. They realized in the name of Jesus was real salvation. They realized in the name of Jesus there was real healing. And so I pray and I trust you will
pray with me, or I hope you will pray with me, that God would give us as a group of people greater boldness. That when we leave here, we won't leave this place and say, well, I worship with this group of people for an hour and a half, and now I'm going to go back and I'm going to have both feet in the world. No, that we go out and we continue to worship God with our lifestyle. And that we ask God to give us boldness to share with other people about the name of Jesus. And that if somebody says, will you pray for me? We will pray with them on the spot. And maybe God would do something miraculously because we have been praying, God, would you stretch out your hand to heal and deliver people? And so maybe as we begin to scatter out this week or next week or in the coming months, that God would begin to do stuff that is just amazing in our midst. Not because we want any credit or we want any glory, because we want the name of Jesus lifted high, because we want God exalted and honored, because he is worthy of all the praise and adoration that we can give him. And if you are here tonight and you're still wrestling with the things of of Christ, read over this passage again and ask yourself, why would people give their lives to this kind of thing? Is there something behind their lifestyle? Is there something behind their conviction in Christ that they were willing to go back to the very same spot and a few hours later and face the very same threats that they faced a few hours earlier because they felt it was that important to tell people about the life? Consider it tonight. Consider it this week and choose life over death.